Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Liam McCollum Show. Today, I have another great guest, uh, one of my favorite people to bring on. It's uh, Mr. Deming. And for people who aren't familiar with uh, Mr. Deming and the previous podcasts I've done with him, I'll link to those in the description, and I really encourage you to watch them. Um, we get into his background and his influence on me. He was he was my civics teacher in high school, my honor civics teacher in high school, and um introduced me to libertarianism and um, libertarianism has kind of been what I've immersed myself in over the last five years. So uh, it's a very transformational um, person to have met in, in high school and uh, has continued to be somewhat of a mentor of mine. Um, but before I bring him in, I just want to rec recommend that everyone check out my sub stacks that I've been releasing. Uh, I've been trying to write every day since my podcast with Dan Sanchez and um, whether it's just publishing quotes from books that I've read or uh, doing commentaries on um, the news of today, I, I'm hoping to make that a habit and continue to do that. And I hope it will also help inform some of the stuff I'll talk about in my podcast. So um, I'll, I'll link to that in the description as well for people to check out. Um, I didn't do a podcast last week since it was Thanksgiving and family was in town, but uh, I'm hoping to get back on track doing one every single week. Uh, but here's Mr. Deming. How how are you doing? I'm doing great, Liam. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, um, I think this is, I don't know what number this is, because uh, I've had you on a few times just by yourself. And then uh, we did a panel conversation with your, your brother, which was really fun. Um, but yeah, I've had you on a few times. And I think the last time... Uh, was about how you had you had finally become the representative elect for House District 55, uh, and this was because you didn't have any opponent in um, running against you in the general. Uh, but now the general elections are done, and you are officially the representative of House District 55. Uh, so I wanted to just bring you on and do a quick update about how you feel and and what you've learned since then, and. Um, and yeah, so so how's it feel to be an elected representative? <laughs> a little bit odd, to be honest with you. <laughs> so uh, I've thought about it for uh, 43 years, and now I get to run in there, jump in, and, and uh, do the stuff that I've been teaching about. So it's it's a very different perspective, to be honest with you. So you you've had some meetings in Helena, um, and and you're learning more about the role. Uh, is there anything that like specific that, that you can think about that surprised you about the role? And, um, and I guess, are there any insights you have as to what you're looking forward to the most? So one of the things that surprised me was that, uh, there is a, and I guess not surprised, but I, well, I don't know you can say it surprised, uh, that there's a wide range of opinion within the Republican party in Helena, a wide range of opinion. Uh, and I knew about it going in, but I didn't realize how uh, broadly uh, spaced are these opinions. So you would think that a Republican would be uh, fairly conservative, and that's usually true, but not in all cases. So that, that was kind of a shock to me. Uh, there certainly isn't a lot of um, agreement on certain issues. Uh, there's, I think we talked about this before, there's a couple of 
uh, main factions within the Republican Party at the state level. And uh, you can say that one of those factions is uh, really looks for bipartisan uh, work between the Democrats and some of the Republicans. And then there's another group that uh, would not usually consider bipartisan issues. And so, uh, like I said, the depth of differences was kind of a shock. Are there any like concrete examples of any conversations that you maybe had with someone of an opposing viewpoint that you can think of maybe without um, referring to them by name, but is there any example of, of like an argument you've had or anything like that? No, uh, it's just general, uh, general um, comments about legislation, uh, particularly spending. Uh, you know, cons uh, conservatives, Republicans are supposedly uh, small government uh, fiscal responsibility types. And this uh, nearly $2 billion that we've overtaxed the people of Montana uh, has created a bunch of um, opportunities, let's say, for spending the people's money. Now, I, I, we've talked about this before. Um, I'm absolutely in favor of giving every dime back to the people because it's a, it's a trust. So we hold, you know, we're, we're going to tax people and uh, take their money. And then the, the trust angle is that uh, we're going to do with that money what we should be doing with it. Well, I just heard the other day that uh, there are plans for one-time dollars to be put into all kinds of programs and physical plants, physical buildings that are going to have to be, uh, uh, personnel is going to have to be hired in perpetuity to go in those places. And so it's, it's being put out there as one-time money. Well, it's not. <laughs> right. So we've got a lot of people who want to grab a chunk of that uh, cash that's out there. And uh, that's <laughs> uh, a lot of Republicans are saying, hey, we need to put it here. We need to put it there. And I keep saying the same thing. We need to give it right back to people. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this wasn't uh, this hadn't been fully realized or they hadn't made a decision as to whether they were going to have a special session last time I had you on the on the show. Um, and I guess just for people who aren't familiar with this, uh, controversy and what, what happened, can you kind of give background as to what this is that we're specifically talking about with the excess money? Right. So, uh, we had to put, uh, put to us this way that, uh, there's a lot more people in Montana making a lot more money. That's what they said. That's where this money comes from. So what that does, uh, uh it raises, income taxes, uh, excuse me, the income tax rate stayed the same, obviously, but uh, the collections went way up because people were making more money in Montana. Now, there's a lot of people out there that are going to listen to this and say, well, that wasn't me, <laughs> right? You know, and so uh, uh, our collections were $2 billion more than, uh, more than we needed. So we have uh, almost a $2 billion surplus and uh, Last legislative session, there was money set aside for a special session in anticipation that something might come up. And this did, where there was a lot more collection than there was uh, bills to pay. And so the idea 
was floated to have a special session to give the money back or to decide what to do with the money. And they couldn't get the votes uh, among the legislature to have a special session. And so now we're, we're going to divvy that money up uh, kind of starting January 2nd. And I'm predicting it's going to go uh, completely through the session. And most of that money is, is going to wind up being uh, spent. Now, uh, there's a possibility that there will be tax breaks. And one plan I heard was that they're going to take X amount out of that $2 billion and then divvy it up equally between each uh, property tax owner, uh, property taxpayer. And so let's say that you've got a uh, house, a small house that you're paying taxes on. And uh, you're going to get the same amount of money as somebody who has a much bigger house. It's a uh, valuation is much higher and they're going to get the same amount. I heard that plan the other day. <laughs> so, uh, my, my plan has been all along. Um, the legislature, the last legislature made a deal with the taxpayers. And that deal wound up costing the taxpayers $2 billion, billion more than we needed. And in the interim, when we figured out that there was going to be X amount of money left over, rather than give it back to the people who desperately need it, particularly with inflation, we're going to spend it. And some of that money is going to be uh, spent on programs uh, that will remain forever. So I'm dead set against the plan. I mean, all of these things, I've, I've heard all kinds of good ideas. Uh, you know, it's worthy projects. Over and over again, I've heard worthy projects will make the case in this session because all of those things, that case was made back then. The contract was made back then. And the contract said that the people paid $2 billion extra. I don't see anything else to do with it, that money they give it back. And, and so what you're referring to now is, is that some of these ideas have been that there will be physical buildings in which people will have to be hired on. And then, you know, taxes will have to be increased for future spending as a result. Um, and, and you released a, an op-ed, I think, a while ago. I don't know if it was published anywhere, but it was on Facebook in, in which you made a very resounding, you know, argument that, uh, taxation is theft and, and you, you believe that wholeheartedly and, and, um, and that this case makes it most clear, um, especially, you know, like you, you can, I think you said something to the effect of, uh, you can say taxation is theft all the time. Um, and, and it, it might not resonate with people, but in this case, uh, it, it's so abundantly clear that, um, that it's theft because it, I mean, it's it's just obvious. People are uh, are saying they made a contract. They said this much money would be um, put aside for a special session, and when it wasn't used for that, uh, um, they didn't give it back. And then they're they're planning to then increase spending in the future. Yeah, I I think the the governor's budget that I looked at had I think, and please don't quote me, even though this sounds like a quote uh, for or five, four point 
something percent increase in the general fund. Uh, it's an increase in spending. You know, and, and you could look at that and you say, well, yeah, we got a lot more money. We can spend it. Well, we got a lot more money uh, extra uh, as a result of a contract that we made. And I, I think in that op-ed, I also made <laughs> the example. So you go down to the uh, mechanic and the mechanic overcharges you for the work they did. And he's got a bunch of projects around his shop that he wants to use your money to, to fund. I don't see that there's anything different about this situation. Uh, now, with one caveat. So uh, there is some money that we have, we have committed to spending uh, in long-term debt. And I think that would be a, that could be a responsible use of the extra, some of the extra money, but it wouldn't account for all of it. So one of the things that really irritates me is even though there's some need out there uh, to, to build these physical plants um, that with one-time money and then fund them later on with the personnel that go in there. And again, I'm not, I'm not making the argument that we don't need those things. But we need to make that case today separately as a new contract with the voters. Because the old contract, um, that resulted in all this extra money. And uh, there's some voters that, that didn't get a chance to vote on what we're going to use it for now. I, I just don't, I, I understand it. I don't agree with, uh, with the direction. So. And then I think last time we had Jan, um, just to kind of uh, bring the listeners up to speed, I think what was happening is that they were about to vote on whether there would be a special session to then return the money back to uh, voters. And you had been in support of that, right? Yeah, we should have. And I wasn't going to serve. Uh, that would have been uh, Representative Ricky would have been serving in that special session. Uh, and I didn't get a chance to vote, but had I had a chance to vote, I'd voted for the special session. And and you said that um, there is talk of other programs. Uh, it, is there anything that you've heard that you actually agree with? Something that might actually um, be the, I guess, the proper way to spend that money? Has there been anything that you've agreed with? Well, the, about the only thing I can think of is is the uh, long term debt that we could take care of, uh, because a number of uh, voters, a number of legislative sessions have got us into this long-term debt. And so pay off some of that stuff with this money. I don't really have a philosophical problem with that. Uh, but again, that should be in the contract with the voters. Uh, and that should be taken care of uh, at the time by the voters that voted for that particular budget. You know, so, um, uh, that's the only use of the money that I could see that would be uh, an honest use of, <laughs> of stolen money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, so the, all of this will have to be approved in a budget then? Um, yeah. Okay. And the governor has published a budget uh, already, and I've, I've actually spent some time reading through it. And uh, I, in, in fact, I got uh, briefed on some of the budget the other day. And there's going to be another budget training next week. So I, I should have a better handle on all of that um, by, by the end of next week, I'm guessing. But uh, 
you know, you can just imagine you've got billions of dollars in there. It's uh, kind of tough to wrap your head around some of that. So, so you met with the governor, right? I, I haven't. You, okay. He, uh, I just visited with him briefly at a, at a get together function. I haven't had any conversations with him really uh, about especially about the budget. Okay. Yeah, that's right. That's what I was thinking of. But I, I am wondering if, if you foresee it being, um, cause I know Gianforte wasn't in favor of the special session. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you think Gianforte belongs to a specific camp. Is he of the more pragmatic type that, that, uh, perhaps isn't as conservative? Um, do you have any, um, I guess ideas on that front? Do you, I don't, do you no. okay. I really don't. I, obviously, I know uh, of him, uh, but um, I, I, I actually couldn't answer that question, honestly, for sure. Uh, I've heard actually both ways. And, I have too. Yeah. So it's very difficult to say um, right now. I, I just have to see, I guess, um, the governor in action as we go forward into the into the session. And is there any other example of uh, kind of this theme that you were talking about where uh, there have been philosophical differences between um, you and, and other Republicans or more conservative Republicans uh, versus more pragmatic Republicans? Are there any other examples you can think of? There, there probably is, uh, but I'm going to hesitate to talk about them yet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you and I can talk privately about it maybe, but uh, nothing that I really want to get into right now. I will say that there's, uh, I've already heard some opposition to the defend the guard uh, bill that I submitted. And I do want to get to talk about that a little bit later, uh, but nothing serious. It was just a, a bunch of questions, but the questions appeared to me to be um, objections rather than questions. And so uh, that, I think that's that might be a tough sell with some of the some of the folks uh, on the Republican side. I've I've heard the same exact thing um, from others, uh, but before we we get into the bills that you introduced and and what we've talked about in the past, uh, it, what do you foresee to be the top issues of the legislature other than the the budget? Is there anything that that you have found to be um, what most legislators are talking about or? Is there anything that the Republicans are, are going to be focusing on that we can kind of expect? Well, uh, inflation and taxes, uh, those are huge issues. And I've heard over and over again about that. And I'm not sure that there's a lot that the uh, state legislature can do with inflation. I mean, I think there is, personally. <laughs> I think there's lots that we can do. I'm not sure that uh, there's going to be a lot of um, appetite for it, to be honest with you. Uh, for some of the things that I think we could do to mitigate inflation here uh, and taxes. So taxation is theft. And when I say that once in a while, um, I get quite a bit of agreement up there. Uh, so it's interesting to see that we couldn't get a special session to give the money back. But I'll get people nodding when I say taxation is theft. So it's kind of an interesting dichotomy. I, I do think that there are statists on both sides. And uh, that's a pejorative term for sure. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of other things you can call people that believe in the power of the state. 
and I'm not talking about the state government, and I know you know this, but for any listeners, uh, a state is to someone who believes in the power of either the national state or even local governments to solve our problems rather than uh, us solving our problems on our own. I actually think that's where we need to go. I think we need to move away from that status mindset. Yeah, well, all of this is very exciting to hear, especially just the the idea that we're going to have a libertarian who is willing to call people statists. <laughs> it's such a fun idea uh, that, that there will be a representative in Helena who, who can um, um, say that while potentially defending bills or, or voting against bills. And um, it is funny to think that, like, I don't even know if it was a year ago now, but um, uh, only a couple podcasts ago, you hadn't even thought about running. You hadn't even been convinced of it yet. So right. <laughs> a lot has changed um, in only <laughs> a brief amount of time. Sure has. By the way, uh, there's more than me. So uh, I have actually heard the term statist. Uh, among elected legislators. That's awesome. It is awesome because, uh, oh, and I got a uh, uh, bill evaluation form from someone who I, I won't name, uh, a former politician. And the bill evaluation form uh, looks like I could have written it. One of the questions is, does it increase government power? So uh, the intimated on that was that if it increases government power, don't vote for it. So that's, I think that's a positive step myself. Yeah, it's really cool that there, I mean, it really does seem like there is a larger appetite for uh, libertarianism, especially in reaction to the pandemic and um inflation overall. And I do think Montana is one of the more libertarian uh, states. And a lot of people talk about New Hampshire and the free state because that is quite explicitly a libertarian movement. Um, and the idea is that people move there uh, if, if they're libertarians to they, you know, they es escape their state and, and flee to New Hampshire and hopefully take over the government there. But here it just seems like people are naturally already like um being someone who is is pretty close um closely affiliated with the libertarian party uh i mean i i've heard of stories of politicians approaching the libertarian party saying you know i'm quite i'm somewhat of a libertarian myself uh and and this is both the democrats and the republicans so um it it kind of it creates a really interesting dynamic and environment for uh, libertarian po politics. And, um, I am trying to grow the libertarian party, but it, it, it makes it very complicated because it's like, well, not everyone that we would run against is an enemy. <laughs> right. So it's, it's very fascinating to watch. And, um, I, I know there is an appetite for, uh, even though there will, I don't know if it'll be enough to pass the bill. There is an appetite for defend the guard. I've heard, um, many or a couple legislators say that they would support it. Um, so I guess as a transition, uh, where, where is that bill at? Um, I, I know that you had expressed maybe uh, some concern just to me 
uh, about you being the the lead name on the bill. Um, so just overall, where where's the bill at? Uh, you did get it introduced, and then how how are you feeling about it? Well, it's not introduced yet. I sent it to the bill drafters, which is That's the right. first step. And uh, believe it or not, I was on the phone with one of the bill drafters uh, just before I texted you and uh, uh, had a conversation. So one of the jobs of the bill drafters is to anticipate any uh, any uh, legal issues you know you might run into uh, in the courts. And this particular bill drafter uh, said that they it does look like there are some. And you know you know I've talked about the defend the guard at length in the past and uh, where some of the opposition would come from. And uh, I, I think you and I have talked about this case before, but the, the one that uh, this bill drafter brought up was uh, the, let me find it here, uh, Perpich versus, I can't remember. Uh, anyway, it's a Perpich case and it was uh, in the nineties. <clears throat> and it had to do with uh, the fact that the governors, there was a couple of governors that did not want to deploy the National Guard training in the 80s in uh, Central America. And they objected to that. And uh, so apparently there was a U.S. Supreme Court case that said, well, um, governors can't refuse. And so I think that's going to be a legal hurdle that we're going to have to anticipate going in. I, I don't personally see that it's fatal to the bill at all, but I do think that that's going to be a source of opposition. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think um, Supreme Court precedent often determines how people want to vote on legislation, even though I think it should be the other way around. I think, I mean, I think there is a fear that if you pass legislation and then it goes to the Supreme Court, another precedent will be established that makes it harder for the bill in the future. But often I think you also get the criticism just that um, the precedent alone is not to even, or is enough reason to resist entertaining the bill in the first place. And I think that that idea should be resisted. And I think that there, there is an argument to be had that you should introduce a bill and get it passed and maybe potentially hope for uh, a new Supreme Court or a court filled with different justices to reconsider that precedent. Um, and I, or, I, I would hope that a more conservative bench like we currently have would maybe reconsider that precedent. It could, but, uh, you know, those options are that you're talking about are good, but uh, what about this option? Why not look at the constitution frankly, the clear language of the Constitution and say, well, um, yeah, it, the governors really do have uh, control and should have control uh, over their state militia. And if the National Guard is a state militia, then it can only be federalized with the governor's permission. That makes perfect sense to me. I, I don't know why... Um, you know, except the argument that it is, you know, in the interest of national security that we have the uh, National Guard available to the feds. But under uh, what circumstances? Are we going to send them over there um, to fight in Ukraine? 
we just send our national Montana National Guard to fight in Ukraine? Well, maybe. And can the governor say, no, we're not sending Montana National Guard over there? Not according to most people. Most people say, well, they're National Guard. They, they're in the Army. Uh, they're in the whatever. Well, that isn't the case. Uh, I don't think that's... The governor should be in charge of militia, militia uh, unless under constitutionally described, prescribed circumstances, and only then and not for deployment overseas, particularly in combat. So uh, this, um, this case that I was telling you about, uh, Perpich case, the governor's objected to training in uh, National Guardsmen in Central America. Not combat, training. And uh, the US Supreme Court said, you can't object to that. Yeah, I'll, I'll need to look into that that bill and I, I wonder if the 10th Amendment Center has any answers to it um, or that that decision. Uh, I know that they they released um, just like an FAQ with a bunch of answers to questions regarding the defend the bill or defend the guard bill. And I haven't looked through it entirely, um, but I, I, I do wonder if it answers any of those those questions or, or concerns. And I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I think that they're now that you're a representative official, this this might be more controversial to talk about. But we've we've talked about it in the past regarding the the OSHA decision. Um, we had said at the time that if the Supreme Court had actually upheld the the law and and the vaccine mandate at the time, um, according to our reading of the Constitution and just the principles of natural law and liberty in general. Um, the states should even resist that. So the whole concept that the the Supreme Court is the final arbiter should be challenged in itself. And, um, you know, there, there will be a lot of legal pushback. And I, I think a lot of this comes from a, a positive positivist perspective where it's like, well, this is currently what the, the law is. Therefore, um, it's what it ought to be or like we, we shouldn't push against it or, or something like that. But I think there's there's value in introducing this just into the Overton window anyway. Why not extend that conversation and introduce the bill regardless of these constitutional questions and, and don't view those consti constitutional questions as obstacles, but rather things that should be pushed against. Um, and I, I think we should start to inject uh, these ideas into the state legislature and the, the politic of, of, of Montana, um, especially in regards to like nullification in general. Cause I, I have heard that, that nullification, it, there isn't an appetite for it here, but I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. We, there have been examples of it in the past. The, the marijuana bill, for instance, is nullification. Legalization of marijuana is nullification. Um, the, the Supreme or the legislature also passed legislation that nullified any federal gun control after January, 2021. Um, there are plenty of examples that have been popular in the past and, and maybe the use of the language nullification is uh, troubling, but the, the concept is not at all foreign. No. And, and Montana has, as you have said, a long history of nullification, but they don't use the term. So <laughs> It's, it is this. It is nullification. There's no question about it. 
and and I think there's uh, an appetite for nullification. Uh, although I've heard that occasionally uh, there's some pushback where uh, legislators uh, who could have nullified decided not to. And maybe just because they've been taught that the federal government is supreme. Well, I don't buy that. Uh, I think they <laughs> said it before, the states created the federal government, not the other way around. And I think the Constitution is pretty clear um, in the Supremacy Clause, whether the Supreme Court interprets it correctly. I mean, it's pretty clear that it's supreme insofar as um, we're, we're within the bounds of the enumerated powers expressed for Congress. Uh, so, yes, there are some things that that could be considered supreme, but there are other issues that absolutely are left to the states. Um, and I think that they're the issues that are most controversial. And, and we've talked about this in the, in the past. Um, so I, I do recommend that people check out those podcasts. I'll, I'll link to all of them uh, in the description, but um, I have to get going soon. I just, I did want to talk about um, the other bill you've introduced. I'm, I'm wondering where you're at with the uh, um, abortion ban bill. So uh, that was uh, a ban on abortions except to save uh, the life of the mother who's in physical danger. And uh, the bill was frankly quite complicated and prescribed punishment for those people who are aiding and abetting. Uh, but the bill's intent was not to criminalize uh, the woman seeking the abortion. Uh, it was to criminalize those who were as I said, aiding and abetting that. And uh, so I, I got some pushback on that, that um, the attorney general right now is fighting at the Supreme Court level because uh, Montana in the last legislative session and going back for numbers of sessions, has uh, the legislature has been passing pro-life bills and they've been being struck down by the Supreme Court, Montana Supreme Court. And they're basing their decision, the Supreme Court is on the Armstrong decision back in the 90s. And the Armstrong decision uh, hinges on the right to privacy. And uh, that Montana's right to privacy is somehow more, and I think we've talked about this before, uh, more robust than the federal right to privacy on which uh, Roe v. Wade was allegedly based. And so uh, my main, one of my main, if not the main reason I ran is to be a pro-life voice in the uh, state legislature uh, and add my voice to many of the other people who are also pro-life. Uh, and that bill is uh, a promise to the constituents that I talked to on the doors um, when I you know, what they had asked me, what are your legislative priorities? I said, well, I'm pro-life. And there was very little pushback from the voters. Uh, so they know I'm pro-life and I'm, I'm going to uh, continue to be that uh, pro-life voice. And so this bill, uh, I, I asked them to stop um, drafting until I get a chance to talk uh, to the AG's office or anybody else that can tell me why 
I shouldn't continue with the bill. And so uh, as soon as I have that conversation, uh, unless I'm convinced that it would harm the case that the attorney general is trying to uh, uh, prosecute in front of the Montana Supreme Court, um, I'm going to go back and restart that bill. And so that's where I'm at right now. I really have to talk to the AG. Great. Well, the other thing just, um, I guess, related to this is the uh, legislative referendum that failed during the election. Um, I'm wondering if you just have any quick comments on that and, and what you think about that bill that would have, uh, well, I guess also just give the specifics because I won't do it well. <laughs> well, you probably, probably will. So uh, uh, the 131 that we, uh, the last legislature sent to the voters uh, was a uh, born alive bill, essentially. So um, requires that a baby born alive under uh, virtually any circumstances has to have a standard uh, of care that will save the life of that baby. And it was targeted to uh, those babies that survive abortion. And uh, now this is my understanding. So uh, if it's wrong, I, I, I don't know the actual figures, but I believe a million dollars was spent to defeat that, uh, that bill sent to the voters. Um, and almost no money was spent, if any money at all, uh, by supporters of the bill. And so I do think that, and I, I've heard a couple of times that the language of that bill could have been clearer. I don't, I don't know how it could be that it, uh, clearer and would have maybe uh, left less room for opposition uh, had it been clearer. But again, I didn't have anything to do with writing the bill. Uh, I've read the bill a couple of times. Uh, obviously, I voted uh, for it. And it was defeated, I think, 55 to 45. And so uh, that obviously disappointing, you know. So is there a way around that? Um, well, I don't know. Because whether that passed or not, uh, I was still going to send that abortion ban to the bill drafters and pursue that, you know, pending... Uh, a conversation that I need to have about uh, whether or not that undermines the case in front of the Montana Supreme Court or cases, I should say. Yeah. And I know I, I'm assuming a lot of these uh, questions around um, the precedent in Montana regarding privacy and, and the constitution, uh, another angle that the legislature might focus on is uh, amending the constitution to change the privacy language. So that's another thing that I, I could foresee uh, kind of changing all of this. Um, Cause maybe at that point there isn't a legal problem and, and you can just introduce the bill. Yeah. Well, another angle is that you can uh, extend the right to privacy of the baby. Now, I don't know how that would, I think that would also have to be a constitutional amendment, but what, why does the right to privacy only a, apply uh to the mother yeah it's a it's a good question and i mean i i do believe that our supreme court 
currently would not do that. (laughs) So uh, it it likely would have to be a a constitutional amendment that extended privacy to the unborn. Um, But yeah, uh, I I really appreciate you coming on and just giving a quick update. Uh, This is shorter than our our usual podcast, I think, but I just wanted to give you some time to um, update everyone. And and I just wanted to ask you about how, how you felt going into the legislature and I'm, I'm sure that I'm going to have you on soon because I, I think that there might be a chance that I'm going to be in Helena during the session as well in some some capacity. And um, if you have time, I'd, I'd love to have you on frequently just to do somewhat of an update. Yeah, that would be great. So I uh, appreciate you having me on, Liam. Yeah, of course. It's always fun. And um for for everyone who was watching, just uh, I'll, I'll link to all of our previous podcasts before. Um, make sure to check them out in the description. Also, share this podcast if you found it interesting. Give it a like. Uh, subscribe to me on YouTube, Odyssey, all of the other podcatchers, and I'll make sure to link to those um, in in the description as well. But thanks, and and make sure to tune in next time.